Hello and welcome to What Have We Learned? Incidental Learnings from Interesting People. I'm Ben Punter. I'm here at the Edinburgh Fringe 2019. Rather muggy and slightly soggy 2019 Edinburgh Fringe. And as you can hear from my voice, also I'm slightly croaky at the moment and slightly soaky from all the rain and all the humidity that we have here at the moment. Uh, on this episode, we have a comedian, Adele Cliff, who's a very funny stand-up. who's performing here at the Fringe with her show, Undershare, which you can see at Just the Tonic at the Tron, which is the pub on Southbridge just opposite Monkey Barrel, and it's at 3.40 every day until the 25th of August, and that excludes the 12th of August, though. Uh, coming up, we will talk about the Fringe stand-up and the whole writing process of the show, uh, and about 20 minutes in, we take a little de- detour, and we talk about cats and dogs, but it's still worth listening to as well. Uh, follow her on Twitter, at Adele Cliff. Uh, this was recording in a slightly noisy bar, it was recorded at the Tron itself, but this is What Have We Learnt with Adele Cliff. Welcome. Thanks for having me. How are you? I'm all right. I'm quite tired. Been, yeah. Everything's uphill here, and I'm not that fit, so no. I'm quite tired. <laughs> no, that, that is a, it's a very famous Lee Evans gag. I don't remember yeah. of. Um, About it uh, being like an Escher painting. Oh yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, is yeah, that, yeah. Is that or is that Marcus Brigstock? I can't remember. Well, it's that one, and but. also it's like if you're going anywhere in Edinburgh, you go up a hill. But if you're coming back, you still go uphill. Yeah. Yeah. Um, how's <laughs> your fringe going? It's yeah. I had a lovely audience today, so that's that was very nice. I've had. I've been very lucky. I've been sold out for the last four days, so mm-hmm. it's very, very nice of people to come see my show. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's what, all right. And what's so special about an Edinburgh audience? There, I mean, there's so many different Edinburgh audiences, like different days and different sort of demographics and stuff, but in general, an Edinburgh audience have mostly turned up because they just really love comedy and they really mm-hmm. like, you know, they know what Edinburgh is, they know it's a comedy festival and they're you know they're seeing lots of comedy and they want to try out lots of different things and that's mm. nice to sort of try and it's a hub of comedy fans and it's basically yeah. you can scoop up some if they like you and that's nice and what do you take away from this type of crowd here that compares like say so the Leicester Comedy Festival uh, well Leicester's also lovely actually as well I'd say but um, this one I mean the thing with Edinburgh because it's a whole month and because you're performing every day mm. you do leave feeling a lot slicker at your job <laughs> which mm. is nice Mm. And yeah, and you get to have a play, you know, if you're doing other festivals and you've got one or two shows, you're more focused on making sure the show's how you want it and sort of perfect. But here you're, you're doing it every day, so you know the show really well and yeah. you can play around and yeah. chat to the audience if you've got bits. And there's always like, there's always yeah. like invitations to do other things while you're here, you, know, you, you yeah. never plan for either. Well, I've got, I do, um, I do a bunch of other shows here. And so like I do some improv shows, I do some nerdy stuff like Questing Time and Battle oh, yeah. of Superheroes, things like that and the one-liner show and there's just lots of nice little things where they they pitch their shows really well so that people going know exactly what they're going to get and yeah, it's yeah. fun to do shows like that I because people are well up for what what the show is my dad has fallen into that trap he's kind of mm. my dad's here as well oh at the fringe does he want to buy a ticket for my show uh i'll let him know okay i'll let him know i, I mean if he plays his card right he can have a free one <laughs> also it is pay what you want so but, but that's he, how it works <laughs> <laughs> he but he's like he's kind of gone a bit I'll book some half the stuff and then I'll not book the rest and I'll just wing the rest. That's and quite went, a nice way to be, I think. But he he booked a show called I think it was the one of the, the board game shows. The board game Smackdown. Possibly. No. I think it's the one which has got about about rolling dice. Oh, I think that's a different and I, one. And I, he was sort of like, it's not what I expected. I didn't understand any of it. Like <laughs> there, there was no Monopoly, there was no Cluedo. I'm like, yeah, it's gonna be. It's not that kind of board games, Dad. No. Yeah. But yeah, I like the the fun thing about doing other people's shows here is I tend to try and pick ones with sort of a theme or something fun about them that makes them different from all the other shows which is 
it's really nice because then when people come based off the back of that the nice thing especially is that often they've not actually seen a lot of your material yeah. or a lot of your show if you go on stage and pretend to play you know play Dungeons and Dragons for an hour they don't see any of your show but they just decide they find you funny which yeah. is a lovely way to be and it's sort of like it's a, it's a it's sort of branches of comedy they, oh, yeah. I like that person I want to find out what else they're doing here. yeah and that's nice as well because I think the thing is if they see you at something and they decide that they yeah that they sort of like the vibe you give off they like you generally mm. then they're more up for giving your show a chance yep. if, if, maybe if they come in cold they wouldn't be yeah. So that's nice. Um, so your show's called Undershare? It is, yes. Oh, I can't. That's the whole show. Uh, <laughs> no, I'm kidding. It's, so it's basically, it's just about sharing and different ways people share. It's about my boyfriend told me I was bad at sharing and I try and break it down whether I am bad at sharing, reasons why I might be and the logic to all of those things. And, and there's also other fun stuff, you know, talk about lines for a bit, things yeah. like that. Yep. When, so when, where the origins of the show begin, as in like, uh, historically, where did it start? When you start um, with your work on a show like this? Well, I start with, my, as with most people, I start thinking about the, I started thinking about it the minute I left Edinburgh last year. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> it kind of, once it, the thing, yeah, I sort of was thinking about bits I'd like to talk about and different things, and they kind of started fitting into a theme. Yeah. And then it gets to the point quite early on where you have to name your show. Mm. And and then, not that you're guided by that necessarily, but I thought, well, actually, this sharing seems to be a theme. I'll pop that in there. And then mm. once you... And I was sort of, you know, working with my director, and we were kind of going, this is a good theme. This works well with yeah. what the material I had. So, yeah, so kind of like that. And then I just sort of write lots of stuff scrap things write more things scrap lots of things and keep writing things until eventually I'm satisfied with the things that are left yeah and how much stuff do you have to cull how much stuff is culled from the final show um it's tricky to know because it depends on what stage you cull it at so mm. things that I've fully written and fully realised the thing and then culled it some bits probably sort of like four or five different bits that I've wrote to completion and mm. then just decided it didn't work but there's loads of other bits where you sort of start with an idea and you think will this be funny and then quite early on you decide it's not so you don't you know you've just tried a few bits and you've not properly written it yeah. so probably quite a lot there but it's difficult to quantify how much that is yeah and does, does the show change that much when you're here like when you got from the, the first because it's what, what's the day today it's the it's the fifth fourth the sixth sixth, sixth. Wow. sixth yeah. oh I don't know what's happening I just want to sleep <laughs> so it's, uh, so it's only the sixth in, good god yeah. no even I do not I, I, I was going to say oh, it's the twelfth like, it's, it's no. the fifteenth we're nearly no. done wow good lord yeah so it's six days into Edinburgh so yeah so just six shows now it, it changes a little bit I tend to what changes more is that I get a bit more playful with it and mm. you know and I'm, I'm chatting to people generally at different points but also when you know the show really well and when you know which bits hit and bits, which bits don't and also which bits hit with crowds that are laughing at specific things you yeah, can yeah. kind of early in the show tweak later on in the show Yeah. Uh, and also yeah if something funny comes up one day I'll sort of see if I can weave something into the show to to make sort of make something like that work again so, so you, it changes a bit but I'd say the the bare bones of it stay pretty similar yeah and this is your second year here as a solo yeah well, it's my show. second hour it's my fifth time I've come to the fringe mm. to perform but yeah so. and you did the show last year with Sheep it was yes uh, new venue yes well same company it's still just the tonic but just different room uh, 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 so how does that show compare to this show in terms uh, of like audience size well I was very lucky last year that I sold out so I was in a room that could hold 60 people last year mm. and it was a sellout constitutes basically being full every day but there was like one day where I had five people off but it was so I was very lucky there that that was full uh, and here my room holds 75 mm -hmm. and we've done six days and it's been 
think slightly over capacity four of those days and then the first day it was sort of three quarters full yep. second day was nearly full I don't know I've stopped asking how many people there are I just kind of go by how hard it is for me to get to the stage from the sound desk yeah, yeah. and so far quite hard because <laughs> the Tron's at such a good venue for comedy but it's got like everyone's sitting on stools so obviously everyone moves them around then there's tables that everyone moves around so all the seats are just wherever people want to be which means they all sort of shuffle forwards and shuffle together mm. so which is great but then also you announce yourself to the stage and go fuck I'm going to kick yeah. 20 people getting to the stage today <laughs> yeah, yeah. please so yeah I've been having to go could you clap until I'm on the stage it will take a while yeah. just sort of shuffling through saying sorry 50 times mm. but yeah I've been so so far I've had quite good audience numbers but tomorrow is the first Wednesday at the Fringe which will be lower I'd imagine because okay. there's just fewer people around it's not two for one and, well, okay, I see. but that's fine I'm, I mean I'm lucky I've still got some pre-sales as well so mm very pleased with that and the, the venue they're in as well that, that sort of small stool chair stuff yeah. it's very New York comedy style I think so yeah and I like it as well I think when people are sat in rows rows yeah. of stiff tiered seating type thing it, it definitely can work well and the right show can work in any venue and I would hope that my show could do well in a venue like that as well but I love the kind of we've all pulled up our chairs to listen to you vibe it has yeah. and, you know and that way that means people sort of you know, groups aren't s split up between rows and everyone's just, it's very lovely and communal and yeah, it's quite New York-y, I think. Mm. So, yeah, that's uh, fun. Um, so, Luke, writing the show, uh, it's the, the worst question I think any interviewer can ask anyone in any creative form is, where do you get your ideas from? I'm not going <laughs> to ask that, don't worry, I'm not okay, going to ask the question. because I don't know. <laughs> no, no one does. The answer, the, uh, the answer is their brain. That's yes. a universal answer. Um, mm -hmm. But there's a version of that question, which okay. I, mean, I think I've updated it to go, this is what you should say. Mm. Is there a time and place or mood or moment where you think, this is where I tend to do my best work, like morning, after the gig, um, it's, it really varies for me. So I quite often I write well after a gig mm -hmm. and also in the middle of the night even when I haven't had a gig because I'm a real night owl kind mm -hmm. of person. I'm always awake at 3am for no good reason. Um, so I do write, write quite well then. I don't really write well in the morning. Mm. I can make myself write in the morning but I'm honestly a lot quicker when I've you know been up for a few hours and yeah. done some stuff. Uh, I also quite like... When I'm writing stuff first time round, I write stuff basically on my own and sort of take it to people. But I do love chatting to people about the ideas. And it's not even necessarily having them... It's more just sort of trying to talk through your idea in, to a person and communicate what's funny about it. It's mm. really helpful to actually make you go back to what you've written and go, no, this is the funny line. It's yeah. not the bit that you've written at the moment. It's not the very old thing like, oh hey, what's that word for dot, dot, dot? And as soon as you say that, you, the word comes to you. Yeah, exactly, yeah. yeah. And that's often a thing as well, because I, I do quite a few one-liners or one-liner-esque bits. And so, so often a lot of the writing is just me being like, I need a funnier word for X. Mm. And yeah, that's quite fun to try that with other people or to just go through loads of options yeah. and see what happens. That, this, yeah. this, so this is my third year at the Fringe, and it's the first time doing something like this. Well, yeah. first time doing something like this as a, like, I just came out, came in, right, right. I'm doing a thing because yeah. that's the vibe of the whole place. Oh yeah, definitely. Um, and I'm fascinated by the sort of the, how the, how how a show works because I'll hear mm. words. That's a funny word, like dip. Yeah, dip's a very funny dip's word. Dip's a great word, funny word. Yeah, I don't think I have dip in my show. I'll write it in now. <laughs> that's <laughs> the thing that you're saying. Like when you have yeah. like an egg, it's like you have the like the right com combination of words and with the right last word. Like yeah, like, yeah. Like, well, there's a few. Yeah bits I think in most shows there's a few bits where just based on who the performer is and, <clears throat> and how they come across and stuff some certain things said by them are sort of 
funny not for what they are but just for coming from them and the, that element and that's kind of like yeah particular words are just quite funny and stuff like that so that's a fun thing to work with in previews and to figure out what word is a funny word for me to say in yeah. this situation not necessarily for someone else it's got to be about what you as whoever you are on stage would do there and why that would be funny and like kind of getting the punchline out is as few words as possible yeah not e- not necessarily as few but like efficiently certainly but the main thing i think um with writing that's so important is if you're writing especially if it's overtly a punchline to a joke not Mm. just like an observation or a laugh that's happening there you cannot verbally repeat yourself from any of the setup yeah so not even the set not the same words obviously that really trips up but if things are in the same sort of group of words or the same if people think of them at the same time yeah i'm trying to think of an example i'm struggling but you know well for exa- one example if, if you're talking about animals for example and you need to be specific in the punchline about an animal yeah because I think animals and then saying creatures in the punchline unless it really needs to be the words animals people still associate yeah 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 and you want to the whole thing with punchlines is you want to give them no clue what the punchline's going to be yeah until the punchline happens and when you verbally repeat yourself they have a clue right so yeah do you ever consider yourself as a one-liner comic? Yeah, yeah, I do a lot of one-liners. So my show this year and last year, they both had a theme and they had a through plot, but there's a lot of one-liner jokes that you can pull out of there. Mm. And I do a lot of gigs with just one-liners because I just enjoy them. They're quite fun. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, and because some of the, because the two of your jokes from uh, sort of the last two years have been in sort of the Dave Top 10? Yeah, actually three, which is an arrogant correction to make. But <laughs> <laughs> what, what a prick no, I but the am. Right, but oh, the right. what an absolute prick. But oh, the right, no, the, the podcast <laughs> ends ending now. She's an arsehole. Don't speak to her. But yeah, I've been very lucky to be on the Dave list, which is very nice. Also, also, but it also shows me up for not doing my research. Well, well yeah, so I didn't want to say, but <laughs> get your act together. But We're talking in a discotheque. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, but there must be a nice bit of exposure as well. Yeah, it's so lovely because that the jo- thing with the joke list is, and the way I see it, and I think other one-liner comics see it, is it's not even necessarily what joke gets on there. Obviously, it's nice if they pick a joke you really love. Sometimes they pick one of the jokes that you think isn't your best, but you're still pleased it's on there. But really, it's just a lovely recognition of consistently good joke writing. Yep. Because nearly everyone, I would say everyone who makes it onto those lists, are consistently good joke writers. And it's yeah, yeah. nice that they get some recognition for that, which is, yeah, super lovely. Is there any kind of pressure from that? A, li- a little bit not initially but now I've been on it a few times mm. and now everyone's like you'll be on it again and I'm like well I hope so but I do <laughs> not know that okay and the, I mean it's nice as well because obviously they put it gets very good PR the Dave list so it's in all the papers and things like that which means my parents get emails from their friends being like we saw you Adele's name in the paper which yeah. they love uh, so yeah. it's really big for them so growing up who are your comedy heroes and idols so many and like so many different it's difficult because I should say people who are similar to me, but honestly, it was just all comedy. I loved. I loved. I think I was. I liked funny stuff before, but I kind of really got into it when I was maybe thirteen or fourteen. Mm. And but what was the thing that the was, Mighty Boosh was probably yeah, yeah. not necessarily the only thing I liked at that time, but it was the first one that really captured me and like made me want to see every episode and know like every joke this, and basically. learn all the crimps and tell everyone, you mm. know, having jokes about it like that, which I loved. But I like. I quite like sitcoms in general, like different types. Like I love Miranda. Mm. I think I love, you know, because I love a science like that. I do a lot of jokey jokes, like we kind of, you know what you're saying, the audience is there. I love, yeah, stuff like that. A lot of stand-up as well. I tried to go and see quite a lot of stand-up when I was first getting into it. Like it was 
18 or something like that. I took my sisters to see lots of stand-ups and they're both younger than me. Um, so I took my youngest sister's like six and a half years younger than me. So she was about 12 when I started taking her to comedy gigs. And some of them were not appropriate. No. <laughs> I'm surprised we got in because I was quite a young looking 18 year old as well with yeah. a 16 year old and a 12 year old. It's a miracle that they let us in the venues, but they did. <laughs> so who in, your, who, who in your family makes you laugh? Both my sisters make me laugh. My youngest sister especially, but they're both very funny for different reasons. Mm. My, so my middle sister, Vivian, she's very funny, mostly because she's super easy to wind up. Yep. Uh, and that is hilarious to both me and my younger sister, Lucy. So we properly enjoy that. But she's pretty funny as well. My younger sister's super funny. My dad's all about dad jokes. Every time, you know, we watch, you know, you're watching the Olympics and every time they do any particular sporting thing, they'll be like, oh, they're normal, nearly as good as me. And then we all laugh. Yeah. That's great. We used to watch World's Strongest Man on Channel 5 and they'd be like, they're nearly as strong as me. <laughs> Classic dad jokes. Dad jokes. <laughs> but my whole family are quite funny, I think. Uh, my mum's great as well. She's super funny. My mum used to let me watch Sex in the City when I was 10 years old, so she's super chill. But, then you're, but then you're taking your, your sisters to comedy gigs when they're 12 as yeah, well. Yeah, no, so. I mean, my parents in general are very cool. <laughs> <laughs> they, they would like me to tell people they're cool. They're cool people. Just continuing the, that sort of the brand. Yeah, <laughs> the brand is, we trust you to make your own decisions. Go for it. <laughs> <laughs> it's fine. It's cool. Yeah. Um, so uh, you did student radio as well. I did. Mm. Loads of student radio. Somewhere in the ether, God knows where, there's mm. a lot of me talking to myself. Because most of the shows were me alone, mm. and I would just do sketches alone or read fake news articles. Yep. And I used to make up um, audience people. So we had a system where people could text the show or email the show. Uh, and you used to get a few messages, but it's student radio. There's nobody really listening. Yep. So I used to just make up people who'd sent messages and make up what they'd say. And sometimes they e like would email every show, and they were big fans, and mm. they were almost entirely made up. Yeah. But at one stage, I had like four shows a week, so that's a lot of time to fill. How long? Were they? An hour each normally. I think I had one that was two hours. Okay. But what sort of music was playing on that? Yeah. Honestly, I'm I'm so bad as a radio presenter because I'm not that into music. Like mm. I like music, certainly, but I don't know anything about it. And mm. my favourite kind of music, honestly, at the moment, my playlists on Spotify are just everything Pink has ever sung because she's yeah. amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then also I really like country music mm. because I was really big into uh, Nashville, the TV series, <laughs> and I liked it anyway before that. But then I watched that and I was like, every country song is the best. Mm. I just love them singing about trucks and stuff like that and I don't know why because it's not really my vibe generally but trucks and guns and I'm like sure yeah it's a catchy beat and, and with Pink one of the things I've noticed with Pink is that I don't know what it is about the songs she's been doing more recently like they're, mm. they're letting her sing more it seems yeah. like she's so, there's a Pink song for every occasion she's got mm. such incredible lyrics she's so expressive and she's such a great performer as well you yeah, watch yeah. videos her live and it's insane so yeah she's brilliant but I'm when, especially when I did the radio shows I just used to play you have lists in most radio stations of like you have to play a certain number of songs from each list within each hour yeah. so I used to do that and then I used to end every radio show I did by playing the Power Rangers theme tune right not because I'm particularly into Power Rangers I mean they're great yeah, obviously yeah. Um, but mostly because there weren't that many basically every week they did a top 40 chart and if I ended all of my four songs with the Power Rangers theme it always got into the top 40 oh so airplay right? yeah oh, okay. four plays was enough to make about 36 <laughs> on the chart and then they had to play it during the chart show and that really made me laugh okay it's probably the reason they never gave me a better spot is because i kept trolling them by playing power rangers theme music <laughs> uh so uh, let's, talk about the, let's talk about the fringe itself yeah. um so for new people who are thinking 
I want to go to the fringe and do a thing. Yeah. What do they need to know that they probably that isn't in any, any book, isn't in any sort of guidebook anywhere? They need to be realistic about what venue they want and where it is mm. and what they'll actually be able to get in in terms of audience yep. and footfall and things like that. Because there's, you know, it's not necessarily hard to get given a venue but it is hard to get given a, a good venue that's suitable for you because there's so many shows and some spots are just not good for most people so yeah. they get people end up with them but it's not the best thing so if they're able to visit the fringe beforehand it's good to know have a look at some venues and realistically think about what what you want like i did when i did a 40 minute show so i so i've done two hour long shows uh i did a 40 minute show the year before that the year before that i did a split bill with my friend and then several years before that i did a sketch show with some friends from university yeah we went we ended up basically in the venue that would take us and it cost us a lot of money uh, and we didn't get that many people in like we had some nice audiences but they were mostly sort of 12 people yeah which in a venue that could hold 50 is fine but not really what you want and also we were quite early in the day so i really made a big point when i was doing every show following that to be to think about where it is and what time it is and stuff and so i've been quite lucky with that is in the split bill i did we were at the three sisters which has incredible footfall we were on quite late so we got a lot of drunk people but we filled the room and then yeah. we just learned to deal with drunk people yeah. and when i did a 40 i i was like there's not you know i know how big i am and it's not big so i was in a room that could hold 20 and mm. that meant i could fill it every day and it's it's a nice vibe to be able to fill your room and it also arrogantly it does make you look cool if you're having to turn people away on a weekend or yeah. something so i think being realistic about the capacity of your room also about your budget because you're not nobody makes money at the fringe regardless of how big your room is i mean I'm lucky with last year that I sold out. But even so, once you've accounted for every bit of money you've spent, you haven't made money. You've just mitigated some of your losses. Yeah. So don't, as a first fringe, go into one of the paid venues nobody's heard of and at you know 11 a.m. or something because you'll struggle and you won't get people in. It'll be demoralizing. So yeah, it's better to try and, if you know people who've done the fringe before or people who are further into their careers, ask them if they could honestly explain to you what venue they think you would have fun in. Yeah. Because, you know, like I have some friends who are doing 40-minute shows this year and I recommended, like, the City Cafe is a lovely one where it's got quite small rooms. They can hold, you know, 25-ish people. But yeah. I think it's so much more enjoyable to feel like you've got a, not packed, but like a room that's got a good number of people in. Good vibe as well. Yeah, yeah. I would rather play, like, the back seat of a people carrier to five people in there than, than 20 people in a 60-seater room because yeah, yeah. it's... It's just about being able to connect to the audience and learn from that. And if you're in a cavernous space without people, that's tricky. And what so else would I say? You you walk so far in Edinburgh, oh, really, really yeah. far. Wear shoes that are comfortable. Um, also, the tricky thing I find, and it depends on what you want to wear on stage, is that you've got to try and be wearing something when you leave the house that is suitable for the 50 kinds of weather but also that you can basically wear on stage like yeah. you can bring a little you know a different a change of clothes if you want but that's a lot of space in your bag you've got to carry flyers you've got to carry yeah. other stuff so yeah think about that even, um, even, even, even for me packing for edinburgh this year it was like yeah. it's gonna rain it's gonna rain it's gonna it's, rain it, edinburgh i feel crazy. like the first time i've i haven't nailed it but it's the closest i've come to nailing packing for edinburgh was this year mm. and i was packing with my housemate catherine um uh, and she's another comic and both of us every time we went to put something in the suitcase we were like can you wear that on stage because mm. we're on stage every day like four or five times so everything we wear has to be something we could perform in yeah so every time we went to put in something we can't wear on stage we'd be like explain yourself why is that going in you can't wear that on stage <laughs> take that out your bag yeah which does mean now going through my drawers 
at the place I'm staying I'm like oh actually this is easier to pick outfits and I'm not wearing weird stuff that I'm not comfortable in on stage which is a nice feeling how much time are you going oh I'm fine okay. until 20 minutes fine. although it's pretty important in 20 minutes I'm meeting a dog who oh. is a dog that I'm friends with in London but she's in Edinburgh as well because her owner is producing a show and directing oh, okay. a show so I'm taking for a walk on the meadows we're going to have a whale of a time just, me I'm, and Mabel it's going to be great what kind of uh, breed is Mabel? Mabel is she, I think she's a Bichon Frise or something she's oh, white okay. and like sort of got she's very beautiful mm. I'm very bad at dog breeds I'm a cat person really but some dogs are excellent and Mabel's one of them she's a great dog this was going to be this was going to be like a tangent I was asking about the the, the um uh, uh, the timing of things and then we're going to doggo chat no and just back on it's just let me tell you I'm going to meet an animal I'm going to the cat cafe soon yeah because every it's year Pardon? Is that Shoreditch? Oh, no, I, there's one up here as well. Oh, okay. There is one in London, but in London, I cat sit for some people, so I know get there's I frequently get to meet cats, whereas here, <laughs> I don't get to meet enough cats, no. so I go to the cat cafe. No. I still know a lot of the cats at the cat cafe here by name, because I've mm. seen them every, several times every summer for the last four years. Yeah. So I was like, hey, nice to see you, Elodie. How's it going? Because <laughs> we, we were just, just before I came here earlier today, we went up Arthur's seat. I haven't done that yet this year, but it's an important thing to do. Yeah. That is another thing I'd say to people doing who haven't been to a fringe doing it for the first time do stuff like that and also go and see other shows because mm. you're just worrying about your own show and you if you worry about your own show when you're newer and the, the thing you have to come to terms with when you're newer coming up is actually annoyingly almost everyone here doesn't care about your show and you've got to know that yeah so it's nice when people come in and when they're engaged they're a lovely audience but coming up here everyone thinks their show is the most important thing and it is for them but don't let it rule your whole fringe if your show's at 4pm don't still be thinking about it at 9pm go and see a show go for a walk do something else and then you'll enjoy it a lot more because your day won't be one hour of performing and 11 hours of worrying and then I don't know eating and sleeping in between those things yeah so and you you mentioned uh, living with other comics as well yeah What's, have you ever lived with non-comedians as well um, not for a little while. So I, when I'm up in Edinburgh, I live with other comics. In London, I live with, I'm in a four-person house. So it's me, two other comedians, and then I have one friend who's a muggle. But she's <laughs> she's Australian, so she's pretty funny. Yeah. Um, and then before that, I lived in a bigger house, but it was one of my friends who was there was in other comics, and that's so there was three of us who were comedians in that house so was I've it? never been entirely without comics apart from when I was at uni yeah what's the, what's the dynamic like living with other comics in the you are you, you try and work on them yeah it's lo- well it's lovely because the other comics I've lived with uh, have been my friends first mm. and comedians second so it's so lovely like the comics I live with now we you know we just really get on well and we also we have we understand what it means to have a good gig or have a bad gig and we you know share knowledge about if a particular things happening and we are able to go through each other's shows and stuff like that so it's it's just nice to have people understand what it means to be a working comic because it's so weird you've got such weird working hours you know in the middle of the day you're in your pajamas at home writing and then in the evening you're out working and that doesn't I think living with entirely non-comics it would be quite confusing to them so it's nice to you know we all work together at the table and stuff in our house and that's that's great because it's it motivates you to be better and, and work and hard and they're here as well they're both here yeah they are uh, Catherine Bohart and Sarah Keyworth are the comics I love and, and they're both delightful and their shows are amazing so yeah it's very nice to live with them because they're lovely people as well that's the annoying thing they're super funny and really nice people and you'd want them to be something wrong with them but there isn't they're yeah. great I love them <laughs> I saw Sarah at Keyworth last year are you doing like a compilation show 
She's very, very good. Oh, she's amazing. Yeah, they're both incredible comics. They're very, very good. Uh, apart from them, so who else, is anyone you're excited to see this year at all? So many people. I'm looking forward to seeing Beck Hill because her show sounds amazing and individual and mm-hmm. like it's a real theatery piece. Oh, I've got loads of people. I'm going to see Jason Byrne. He's just a very funny guy. He's so good with an audience. It's really nice to see because I like interacting with the audience, but seeing someone who can is on top of every single thing that happens in a room is amazing. Yep. Uh, I'm going to see Matt Richardson because he's a friend he's super funny and I like him and then I've got a few friends who are doing uh, first shows and stuff so um, so I've already seen Sarah's show Catherine's show they're both great my friend Rachel Krieger's doing a show which is amazing as well uh, Aaron Simmons who I'm friends with mm-hmm. he's doing his debut uh, and I previewed with him so I have kind of seen the show but I'll yeah. go and see it again because he's a funny guy yeah there's loads of people who it's annoyingly the annoying thing is I'm trying this year, and I tried last year as well, but I'm trying even more this year to make sure I make time to see a combination of shows from friends and also shows I want to see. Yeah. Uh, and you still have absolutely no time yeah. to do all of that. I'm here the whole month, and I'm going to see a third of the shows I want to see, I think. Yeah. Um, so after Edinburgh 2019, what will be next? Uh, so next, I've got... I've got a few ideas I'm trying to develop. I have a podcast idea, but I don't have a microphone. That's the main thing stopping me from doing my mm-hmm. podcast. Uh, so I'm trying to think about trying to work on that. I've got some ideas for a potential. Uh, like I have an idea for what could be a radio-y drama or could be a podcast-y drama-y thing, yeah. which I'm quite excited about. And yeah, some of the stuff. I'm trying to write a short. My friend's a very good comedy director, so I'd like to work with him. So I'm trying to write a comedy short. And then, yeah, I'm just sort of trying to book some other gigs, looking at different festivals that I've not been to and seeing whether they might be good good to go to. Adele, yeah. Adele Cliff, thank you very much. You're most welcome. Thank you very much. So that was Adele Cliff, and you can see her show Undershare at Just the Tonic at the Tron every day until the 25th of August, excluding the 12th at 3.40pm. You can follow her on Twitter at Adele Cliff. So what have we learned? Be realistic about fringe venues and do visit before. See other shows and enjoy the festival even as a performer. Wednesday at the Fringe is usually quiet. Uh, Give audiences no clue to your punchline. Uh, Ben, do your research next time. There's a pink song for every occasion. Dip is a funny word. And we trust you to make your own decisions. But hey, just go for it. And remember, Edinburgh is all uphill, but you can leave feeling much slicker.